0: It, it's it's uh, you've got God's perfect word, God's infallible word, but God calls fallible preachers to preach his infallible word. So we're really concerned about that. We're we, we want to be people, Isaiah 66, two people who uh, um, have a broken and contrite spirit, acknowledge our unworthiness before God and that we tremble at God's word. So uh, so we won't, don't want to take God's word lightly. So let's, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, I thank you for bringing those here today that you wanted here today. I pray, Lord, for those who are watching on, online, that you would bless them as well, Lord. And that those who watch this sermon or listen to it on radio throughout the week, that, um, that you would just minister to their hearts, Lord, and that... Uh, But I pray, Lord, that it would be your word that is preached, not fake news, not the faulty wisdom of man. So I pray, Lord, that you would cancel me, the the preacher. You would anoint me and fill me with your spirit so that you would guard my mouth and my tongue. So I would proclaim your truth so I would not lead anyone astray. So I pray, Lord, that uh, um, you'd open hearts and minds, including my own to understand your word and empower us to apply these truths to our lives. And Lord, for the the mothers in the church and the mothers throughout our community and throughout the country and throughout the world, I just pray that this would be a special day for them. They do so much work that's not appreciated. May they be appreciated at least uh, on this day. We just thank you. We all thank you for our moms. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, so where we left off is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And, you know, Paul thanked God. For, and by the way, we have the handouts there. If you need handouts, you want to pick up one. Um, but Paul thanked God for the Thessalonian believers. You know, he had led them to the Lord, but he only stuck around for a few weeks. And then persecution set in. He had to flee, went to Berea. More persecution set in from the, the Thessalonians that didn't. Accept Christ and he had Paul to flee to Athens, but he sent Timothy back to Thessalonica. And, But Paul thanked God for the Thessalonian believers. He gave them a blessing of joy and peace. He defended his ministry to the Thessalonians and prayed for their spiritual growth, but he longed to visit them. Uh, because, it, you know, Christianity involves a lot of teaching of doctrine and a lot of setting the example, but it also involves personal relationships. And Paul longed to see them once again face-to-face. Now, he sent Timothy to them. Well, Timothy brought back a good report to Paul concerning the Thessalonians. And now he's going to give some further instruction here, starting in chapter 4. And he's commanding these new believers who came out of paganism, who came out of false belief, okay, They came out of paganism, and he's commanding them, people who came out of paganism, to make sure that the paganism has come out of them. And so God saves us. He loves us enough to save us in the midst of our sin, but then he loves us too much to leave us in the midst of our sin. God's in the business of shaking up our world. I mean, Jesus, you know, cleansed the temple. Right now, our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is still in the business of cleansing temples. He'll cleanse our church and purify our church when it's needed. He'll cleanse us when it's needed. And it often hurts. But whatever the case, Paul's got to make sure that they understand that, look, if you're a believer, if you sign on a dotted line, and you say, I trust in the Lord Jesus for salvation, you don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong to King Jesus. You're supposed to live for Jesus, not yourself, okay? And uh, so he wants to make sure they've been set apart, taken out of paganism, but is there still paganism in their hearts? And we we have to take this to heart in the American church because I'll tell you, The American church today, we have no problem people calling themselves Christians and blending a little bit of paganism here and there with their Christianity. And as long as our pastors don't preach the meat of God's word, uh, how are our people supposed to know the difference between good Christian beliefs and practice and pagan beliefs and practice? So the American church, is we're a lot like the Thessalonians, uh, right now, now Paul tells them in verses one and two of First Thessalonians chapter four that they should live to please God. Paul says this. Finally, then, brethren, we urge and exhort you. We encourage you in the Lord Jesus. He's calling Jesus the Lord in a religious sense. He's saying Jesus. The Greek word is Kyrios, but it's the equivalent of the Old Testament word Yahweh when it's in a religious context. He's saying Jesus is Yahweh, Jesus is God, the I am who I am, who spoke to Moses from a burning bush. Finally, then, brethren, we urge and exhort, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So Paul encourages them to grow in their walk with the Lord, to grow in walking with the Lord and in pleasing God. And he said, when I was with you, he wasn't with them long. He taught them a lot of stuff about the end times. We're going to see that at the end of this chapter. We're going to see that in the uh, uh, next, the second letter, Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians. He taught them a lot about the end times, but he gave them some commands. Okay. And uh, salvation is a free gift. All you have to do is trust in Jesus and be saved by God's grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. We are saved by God's grace alone. It's a free gift through faith alone, through trusting in the Lord Jesus, the true Jesus of the Bible, alone for salvation. Salvation is an absolutely free gift. However, once we're saved, you know, God makes us born again. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And through faith and love in action, we're able to obey the Lord's commands. We don't want want this in the American church. We we, We like the idea of a free gift of salvation, but we don't like any requirements for us, any obligations for us, okay? But if you are a true believer, if you really have trusted in Jesus for salvation, then you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit begins to change you from within. If you're the same cruddy person you were before you got saved, you got to question yourself and ask, am I really saved? None of us are perfect. We're not going to be perfect until Jesus comes back. But there ought to be some kind of change, okay? And uh, we ought to be moving forward. That's what holiness means. It means uh, there's a state of being set apart sanctification, holiness, okay? We are to be set apart for God's holy purposes. And so once we're saved, the Holy Spirit then begins to transform us. we got to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to change us from within. Now, the greatest commands, we know Paul went over these. Jesus said the greatest commands, love God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself, okay? And can you honestly say what you're think whatever you think, whatever you say, whatever you do, can you honestly say, "Yeah, uh, I am loving God right now and I'm loving my neighbor as myself okay and um and so we know that Paul went over those commands we're going to see in verses three through eight, he also told them to abstain from sexual immorality. It's almost like when it comes to the pagans. It's either holiness being set apart for God's holy purposes. It's either sanctification, holiness, or it's sexual immorality. Living for the lust of the flesh. It's just like there's no in between. Okay? And uh, and so Paul brings that out in uh, verses 3 to 8. It is God's will that we be set apart from sexual immorality. Now, I'm, I'm sure there, are, you know, you go to Grandpa's America. There probably didn't have to be that big of an emphasis. I mean, you're always going to have your people that are going out there and sexually sinning, but for the most part, American Americans, even non-Christian Americans, live by Christian morality. Yeah. That amazed me with the the promise keepers. A lot of good came out of the promise keepers. I didn't agree with everything that they stood for and said, but but they just said, hey, if you're a believer, if you're a man and you're a believer, you ought to be a man of your word. You ought to keep your promises. And that always puzzled me because my dad's generation, my dad was born in 1920, son of Portuguese immigrants, one of 13 kids, grew up during the Depression. Nobody ever had to tell him, you need to be a man of your word. It was just expected. So now all of a sudden, our society has been so paganized that when you come to Christ, now you have to be taught, oh, yeah, you should be a person of your word, okay? And so a lot of what Paul says to the Thessalonians is very, very applicable uh, to us. And so look at what he says in uh, verse 3. For this is the will of God your sanctification, okay? So God has called us to sanctification, hagiosmos in the Greek, hagiosmos, sanctification, to be set apart from the world and set apart from sin for God's holy purposes. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. I mean, when Paul was in Thessalonica, he didn't have to be there more than a few weeks before he realized, man, sexual immorality is rampant out there. And I need to lead these people to Christ, and then I need to to teach them what the Bible teaches about um, uh, human sexuality that pleases God. And so he tells them, abstain from sexual immorality. The Greek word for sexual immorality is porneia. Some of the older translations used to call it fornication. You know, that's still in our dictionary today. Most tell a young person, well, you should not be fornicating. They don't know what you're talking about. But sexual immorality or fornication, the Greek word is porneia. We get our word pornography from that. And so God has called us to sanctification, not fornication or sexual immorality. God has called us to hagiasmus, to be set apart from the world and from sin, not sexual immorality, okay? Look at 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18 to 20. Now, this is Macedonia where the Thessalonians were, and to the south of that was uh, uh, Greece, and that's where the Corinthians were from. Paul eventually Went there and saw that they had issues. And uh, he's probably writing this letter from Corinth. But in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20, Paul says this flee sexual immorality. Now you got to understand, most of the time when the Bible deals with sin, it doesn't tell us to flee. It tells us to quote scripture like Jesus when he was tempted three times, okay? Most of the time you don't flee, you just quote scripture. But the Bible does tell us when it comes to sexual immorality and when it comes to idolatry, false worship, flee. We got to be like Joseph, okay? Potiphar's wife found him attractive and wanted to have sexual relations with him, wanted to commit adultery with him. He said no. She grabbed his cloak. He f- so quickly ran away. He was fleeing immorality, you know, what, 2,000 years be- or 1,500 years before uh, Paul even wrote that? He was fleeing immorality. And he fled naked. Now, when you're the only Jewish guy, and you're living in Egypt, and a high-ranking guy's wife accuses you of rape, you're going to prison, and um, especially when you're running away naked. But um, but the Bible says flee immorality. Paul tells us you don't stick around and quote verses when you're tempted in that area. What that tells me is um, my wife and I, we built a hedge of protection around us, and... Um, it's just like if we pray to, to the Lord, don't lead us into temptation, why do we run full speed towards it? Okay? So if I go out to... Billy Graham had the same rule. If I go out to eat with a lady, it's just me and a lady. It's either me and my wife or me and my daughter. Or it could be one of my sisters back in Jersey if I'm up for an argument. But um, but whatever the case... Um, uh, don't don't get lax. Don't um if there's a lady who needs counseling, it'll either be me and my wife counseling the lady or just my wife counseling the lady or we'll get another lady in the church like Kim to counsel the lady and the guys will counsel the guys and the ladies will counsel the ladies. We just have to be very very careful about that, okay? But don't you know Don't run full speed towards the edge of the Grand Canyon, and then pray, Lord, save me from falling. And then when you fall off the Grand Canyon, you you don't you don't blame God, okay? And um, um, you know it's the same with with anger. If there's people who push my buttons all the time, don't hang out with the guy, okay? If I know I got okay, I'm got a little bit of anger management issues from the old Phil Fernandez, and this guy pushes my buttons, well, fine. I don't have to hang out with the guy, okay? Now, if you're working side by side with a guy and he's pushing your buttons, you better become a prayer warrior. I mean, that's pretty rough. But the Bible says flee immorality. So back in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18 through 20, flee sexual immorality. For every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. So it's a whole other level of sin. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? Do you consider, if you're a believer, you better consider your body property of Jesus. Even when we eat food, we should be saying I'm eating food to get the energy so I can serve Jesus and live for him. Okay. And that's kind of hard to justify when I'm coming out of a McDonald's drive through sometimes or uh, from my one sermon, I got so many ding-dongs. I think it was over 60 ding-dongs people gave me. So I'll never use the ding-dong illustration again. And, um, I was trying to lose a little bit of weight. Well, well, now I got a lot more weight I got to lose, but, um, But we got to treat our bodies like a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that means you flee immorality. You belong to King Jesus. Verse 20, for you were bought at a price. What price did Jesus pay for you? Look at the scourging and then six hours on the cross. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who created the universe became one of us to pay the price for our sins, to die on the cross for our sins. God cannot forgive sin unless it's been paid for in full. King Jesus paid for our sin on the cross. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells us. You don't bring, you know, it's like Antiochus Epiphanes, the demonic syrian leader in 170 bc he conquered the jews and went into the temple and slaughtered an unclean animal a pig in the temple and that's what we're doing when we commit sexual immorality and so the bible tells us to flee from that why because we were bought at a price now look at first corinthians 7 and verses 1 and 2, Paul says this, Now, concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. That's pretty strict right there. Verse 2, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. So Paul's saying, look, I wish you were like me, single, so you could dedicate your life to serving the Lord. Okay? Okay. You'd be better off. Don't even date. Don't get married. Just serve the Lord. But Paul says, I know not everybody's got that gift. Okay? And by the way, we often think of it as our sexual needs. When's the last time you saw a person that was celibate died because of that? We need water. We need air. Okay? We need food. But what we do is we often take a very extremely common desire and we call it a need. But the fact of the matter is we don't really have sexual needs. Okay. And so, you know, if, if guys, you marry your your bride and a day later she gets in a car accident and she's paralyzed and you can't have relations with it it is still death to us part. Okay. And, um, and so, um, but, Paul tells us flee sexual immorality. He says, look, you'd be better off not even getting married. But because so many males are tempted to sexual immorality, it'd be best for each man to have his own wife and each woman have her own husband. Okay? And I had an uh, Uncle Tony and Aunt Mary, brother and sister, two of my dad's 12 siblings, and they never felt the need to, to, to get married. So everybody always thought whenever they moved to a new, they were Catholics, they moved to a new parish, everybody always thought they were married. And I was like, no, we're brother and sister. He died at age, she died, I think she was 85, she was a younger sister. He lived a few years later, but died at the age of 97. And, um, um, But the, the, the idea here is that, look, most people can't do that. Most guys need a gal and most gals need a guy. And so the way you deal with that, Paul says, you get married. A man has his own wife, and the wife has her own husband. He doesn't say, well, because of sexual immorality, just go and mess around. No, that is sexual immorality. And so what we see is that the, the word for sexual immorality is basically that includes all sex outside of heterosexual, that means one Uh, one man and one woman, heterosexual, monogamous marriage. So all sex outside of one man and one woman for one lifetime, that's the the ideal. Many of us have fallen short one way or another. You can't change what you did yesterday. You got today, you got the rest of your life, okay? But that's God's ideal. You know, we're going to see where Jesus talks about that in Matthew 19, 4 to 6. And, um... But sexual immorality, porneia, fornication, that's all sex outside of heterosexual monogamous marriage. Okay? And um, then look at what Paul says, verses 18 through 20 of, oh, uh, no, verses 8 and 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. In other words, they say, hey, you'd be doing a good thing if you don't get married. But then in verse 9, but if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So the, the biblical way you deal with sexual desires is you really, if you have sexual desires, you say, hey, I need to find a guy. You should say, I need to find a godly Christian lady that I'm attracted to, that we have a lot in common with and that I'm going to vow to spend the rest of my life with her and be faithful to her, and the lady should should, should find a godly Christian guy. And um, anything outside of that, you're not being sanctified. You can be set apart for the Lord, set apart from the world, set apart from sin, set apart to God for his holy purposes, or... You can live like you're set apart for the world and sin, okay? And uh, uh, Paul's telling the Thessalonians, you got to choose between serving God, being set apart for him. you got to choose between serving God and your out-of-control sexual appetite because of the culture in which you live, okay? This, these are not easy times, so I'm telling you. Uh, during the time of Christ, I, I would think it was probably not uncommon for young Jewish guys to not even know what an adult female looked like without clothes on, because everybody dressed in a modest fashion. I'm telling you guys, and even gals at times, there's sometimes we need to walk around looking at our feet, even if it means walking into a telephone pole, okay? Um, Our culture... The idea, that, that was one of the only things I agreed with, with uh, that President Obama had said. He said, this is, no, this is no longer a Christian nation. He hit the nail on the head. We haven't been a Christian nation since what? I don't know, a little post-World War II? Um, it's like we live in Veselonica, heading towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe we're there already, I don't know. And um, uh, by the way, if, we, if you see non-believers who are deep in this kind of sexual sin, what do you do? You love them, and you speak the truth in love. You share Jesus with them, okay? But you call yourself a believer, if the Bible calls something sin, then it's sin. And you need to be set apart for God's holy purposes. Um, look at Matthew 19. Matthew 19, 4 to 6, says, And he answered them, and answered and said to them, so Jesus is speaking, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? A male? and a female, and the two, not the 25. Not a guy and his 24 wives or a lady and her 24 husbands. This the two. So all the times the Old Testament saints that married more than one lady, that was not in God's perfect will. Jesus sets it all straight here. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Not two males, not two females. Okay, and look, you know, you know, you might be sitting there and thinking, "Wait, Pastor Phil, you need to catch up. Things have changed in America." Oh yeah, American morality has changed. It changed from morality to immorality. Okay, God's morality hasn't changed. And the day I stopped preaching from this book, from the sixty-six books of the Bible is the day you better yank me from behind this pulpit, okay? Get rid of me and get somebody in here who will preach the word of God. Um, but uh, but Gen. has said, so then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, God is joined together. Let no man separate. Now, I, I understand that there, there are sometimes innocent parties in a divorce. The Bible addresses that. Sometimes a person becomes a Christian and their spouse doesn't become a Christian, and says you've changed and wants to leave them, the Bible says let them go. I understand about all that. Uh, divorced and remarried Christians shouldn't be looked down upon as second-class Christians, but what I'm saying is if you're married right now, you do everything, in not in your power, in God's power, to be faithful to your spouse. Okay? And... um and and I pray that your spouse will do the same uh, when it comes to you. And uh, so if pornea, sexual immorality, that which we're supposed to um, abstain from, if that includes all sex outside of heterosexual monogamous marriage, what does that include? It includes qu- quite a bit of different things. Um, adultery. You know, thou shall not commit adultery. I mean, it's uh, being unfaithful to your spouse or having sexual relations with somebody else's spouse. Premarital sex. Okay, I've actually had a lot of youth pastors come to me and said that, you know, I got a guy in my church, in my youth group, and he wants to know, where does the Bible say premarital sex is a sin? And these poor youth pastors are searching the whole scripture. Hey, look, every time porneia is mentioned, whether it's sexual immorality, whether it's Old Testament Hebrew or New Testament Greek, it means all sex outside of marriage, outside of heterosexual monogamous marriage. And um, uh, so premarital sex is a sin. Incest, rape, orgies, um, homosexuality. A lot of people say, oh, that was just in the Old Testament. No, it's not. It's in the New Testament as well. 1 Corinthians 6. I have, by the way, I have friends that are homosexuals. I don't have to hammer them over the head. They know exactly where I come from. They know what the Bible teaches on it. If you want to look into it, I've done two debates on homosexuality, uh, biblical perspective of homosexuality. Dr. Reverend Farley Maxwell um, back in about 1991, 1992. We still have that on Sermon Audio. You might have to search it out a little bit to, to watch that. And then um, I debated the gay marriage issue in 2005, myself and a Christian lawyer against an ACLU lawyer and a uh, very, very liberal pastor, okay? So you you speak the truth in love. You You love homosexuals and people... Oh, who are not living biblical lifestyles? By the way, I don't. I'm shocked. I'm not shocked when I see a non-believer living a non-believing lifestyle. I mean, that just that just consistent. I'm shocked every once in a while I see non-believers who look who act more like Christians than we do sometimes. Okay, um, but what Paul is telling the Thessalonians: live consistently with your worldview, your view of reality. You're no longer a pagan, so don't live like you're a pagan. Okay? It's time to get out of Sodom and Gomorrah, and unlike Lot's wife, we can't look back. Salvation is a free gift, but Jesus said, still, count the cost. It's a free gift to receive salvation, but after that, everything changes. If you're not willing to follow me, Don't sign up, okay? You trust in Jesus for salvation. He indwells you with the Holy Spirit and begins to change you from within. But uh, adultery, premarital sex, incest, uh, rape, um, pedophilia. Did I not list that there? Pedophilia, uh, orgies, homosexuality. But look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. Do you not know? This is the Apostle Paul saying. This is the word of God. If you're the kind of person who likes to tear pages out of the Bible, if you don't like them, you're not going to like Trinity Bible Fellowship. Okay? And believe me, there's some pages I'd like torn out, like turn the other cheek. You know, it's like, man, no, I think that guy needs to, needs to be act, And it's like, no, God's words is turn the other cheek. Okay? But if I'm, I'm either going to preach word or my opinion, I start preaching my opinion, you either boot me out or find another church. The first Corinthians 6, 9 to 11, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, that's sexual immorality, nor idolaters, those who worship false gods, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. He's covering two different types, masculine male homosexuals, and then feminine male homosexuals. He's covering both sides there. I did an in-depth study in the Greek on those words. Nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. So he's saying, look, if you think you're saved by God's grace, if you think you're saved And you claim to be a believer. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, went to the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father who's in heaven. So you can call Jesus Lord all you want. If you're not serving him, people have got to ask, you know, you're in willful, habitual sin. Are you even saved? And Paul says, if your life is characterized by these sins, these sinful behaviors, or one of these sinful behaviors, You're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. You're not even saved. But then Paul says this in verse 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified. There's that word again, set apart, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. And so Paul says, look, homosexuals can trust in Jesus and be saved, but if they're really saved, they're going to no longer be homosexuals sexually immoral people can be saved but if you're really saved you're going to no longer be that sexually immoral person now and I, i'm not i'm hear me out on this believers can walk away from the lord and do all kinds of crazy stuff i believe if you're a true believer god's going to shake up your world either take you home early or or bring you back but I believe only those who persevere to the end will be saved, and um, um, but I believe true believers are saved. So God causes us to persevere. Um, but uh, I'm telling you, it could be. It was like one of the songs we sang. Creating me a clean heart, oh Lord. Return to me the joy of my salvation. Ooh, who? Who those lyrics written by? Three thousand years ago, King David. And he had committed the sins of adultery and murder until he was confronted by Nathan the Prophet. He didn't even he didn't even uh repent, turn from his sin. So believers can be we can be stupid. We can bring back the old man. Okay? God's word says you're no longer a slave to sin. Now you're once you're saved, now you're a slave to righteousness. However, we can impersonate slaves to sin. But I do not believe it's like two vicious dogs. Battling with sin is not like two vicious dogs fighting it out. When you sin, when I sin, it's like taking on a leash a dead dog for a walk around the, the block. Because sometimes I have a hard time believing it, but God's word says the old Phil Fernandez is dead. He's dead and buried. They nailed Jesus to the cross When I trusted in Jesus for salvation through the persuasion of the Holy Spirit, the old Phil Fernandez died. Now I got to live like the old Phil Fernandez is dead. I know most of the people here, and I think you love the Lord and all, but I'm I'm looking outwardly. When you look at me, you're looking outwardly. What's going on in our heads? Okay? Fight a godly man or a godly woman... A mature Christian is not someone who lives a life of sinless perfection. That's not going to happen until King Jesus comes back and we see him face to face and he changes us in a twinkling of an eye. Our mortal bodies put on immortality. Until that occurs, we're still going to have sin. So I I, I, I beg you, I beseech you, Battle with sin in the realm of the mind and the heart. Battle with sin inwardly so you don't have to worry about it trickling on out into your outward behavior and your attitude. Okay? So like I said, I think I even said it last week, if I, if I had spied on Billy Graham for a week late in his life, I would have said, you know, I've been watching you night and day for a week and you haven't even committed one sin he would have probably turned to me and said, boy, am I glad you can't read minds, okay? But a godly person, don't lower the bar. I say, well, I didn't punch anybody this week. I didn't say any curse words, okay? I didn't murder anybody. I didn't physically commit adultery. Man, I went the whole week without sin. No, the, the Lord judges the hearts, okay? Now, I'm not saying, if you're a true believer, I'm not saying you're going to lose your salvation, but I'm saying God will judge believers when we sin. Okay? This is why Paul says it is a fearful thing. You know, you say, he tells the fellow you fall into the hands of the living God, but he says, uh, work out, not work for, but work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God who's at work in you. Stop treating Jesus like he's your drinking buddy and we just hang out. Yes, he's your brother. Yes, he loves you. Yes, he's your friend. Yes, he's the lamb who was slain. But he is still the lion of the tribe of Judah. King Jesus is still the creator of the universe. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob don't play games with Jesus if you're trusting him for salvation, then submit to him. be set apart for God's holy purposes okay and um, um and so all sex outside of heterosexual monogamous marriage that's what the Bible classifies as sexual immorality um that includes adultery, premarital sex, incest, rape, orgies, pedophilia, homosexuality, polygamy, bestiality, sadomasochism, we're inflicting harm on each other, transgenderism. In Canada, you say if you say in Canada what I'm saying right now that transgenderism is a sin, you get fined twenty five thousand dollars. So much for freedom in the West. And you don't think the guy in the White House would like to implement some of that stuff? Okay? Our Constitution is a lot stronger than what they got up there. But I'm telling you, the Constitution doesn't help us a whole lot when it's being ignored by our leaders. Um, you think the answer is politics? No, be a good citizen. Stand up for what is right. But I'm telling you, Jesus is the only answer. And... um, um so what I'm saying is not popular. What I'm saying could get me locked up someday. You know, the government's got to do what it thinks it's got to do. But I got to do what I know God wants me to do. God called me to preach his words. So I'm going to back down from a guy in the White House or Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum or, or Bill Gates who wants me to eat bug burgers. Nah, nah, it's for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, when we look at all those things, most of us can look and say, wow, I'm glad I don't do any of those. Okay, but what about lust? Okay, and um, look at Matthew 5. Matthew 5, Jesus does the same with murder that he does with adultery. He said, "You, you, you know, You're a murderer if you just think angry thoughts against somebody. Okay? But Matthew 5, 27 and 28, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with with her in his heart. Now, Mental adultery is not as bad as physical adultery, but it still means you broke the command, thou shalt not commit adultery. Just like mental murder is not as bad as physically committing murder, but you still broke that command. So even if you were somebody who was outwardly totally righteous, you would still need to say, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, forgive me of my sins. Don't ignore the sins of the mind. But the Bible condemns uh, even lusting after someone as a sexual sin. Look at Romans 1:24. Paul talks about where we went wrong, that the invisible God, we don't see the invisible God, starting at verse 18 of Romans 1, going down to the end of the chapter, verse 32, we don't see the invisible God, but we see the visible work of his hands. He proves his existence. The creator proves his existence to us through creation. Okay? So what do we do? We we profess to be wise and, um, and become fools. We don't have an excuse for turning our back on God. God proved himself to us. But instead, we just go profess to be wise. We become fools. And we go on, we worship statues of four-legged creatures. And then um, in verse 24 of Romans 1, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. And then it moves on from the lust of their hearts. You go down further uh, to verse, starting at verse 26 and through it talks about, Paul gives the example of male homosexuality, and female homosexuality, lesbianism, okay? Um, lust, even thinking sinful, even thinking sexual about sexual sin is itself a sin, okay? Now, the evil one is going to mess with us. To be tempted is to be human. Satan or one of his demons could put a bad thought in your head. As soon as it's there, don't dwell on it. Rebuke it. Okay? Rebuke it in the name of the Lord Jesus and turn things over to the Lord. Okay? Um, you see some somebody walking by, or you see some, you think, whoa, that, that might lead me astray. Well, then look at your feet. And you come to church, um, You come to church with a black eye because you walked into a post because you were looking at your feet when you were walking so as not to be tempted and and not to lust, I'll give you a ding-dong, okay? But but make sure that, you know, that black eye is because of walking into a pole and not because you ticked off the wrong guy. But whatever the case... um, So even lusting. So what does that say about pornography then? I don't know what the statistics are now, but it used to be 85% of uh, the funds for pornography uh, went to organized crime. Now, Rudy Giuliani in the 1990s broke the back of the uh, five major Italian crime families in New York. And that set things back. But it seems like even the drug trade now is controlled by like Mexican cartels. And so do you really want to support by watching pornography or do you really want to support organized crime, whatever type it is now? Do you really want to support, you know, would you, would you want, would you want some guys making millions of dollars exploiting your daughter's beauty No. Well then do to others what you haven't do to you. Don't don't take part in somebody else exploiting somebody else's daughter. This is disgusting. Walter Martin used to talk about that when they interviewed uh Hugh Hefner, the guy who's who uh had a dirty magazine, and um he was being interviewed by William Buckley Jr. And um and um he talked about, well, how, how come you're doing this? And he said, well, we're, we're getting away from uh, puritanical morality and we, we live in a free love society and a free morality, so there's nothing wrong with this. So then William F. Buckley Jr. asked him, says, well, I understand you have a 21-year-old daughter. And he said, yes. And he said, I understand she's attractive. He said, yes. He said, she looks just like her mom. And um, he says, well, when can we expect to see her photos and all of a sudden the ufner guy was stuttering and okay um no there let me tell you if you're into pornography okay uh, how can you honestly say that you are allowing the holy spirit to set you apart for god's holy purposes Okay. If you have this sexual, strong sexual desire, you go find yourself a bride, a godly bride. Ladies, if you have that sexual desire, you find yourself a godly man. You dedicate yourself to each other. And um, if you're single and you can't find somebody... You just gotta turn that need over to the Lord. it's easier said than done okay um but uh but whatever the case um uh, any sex whether it's mental or physical, any sex outside of heterosexual monogamous marriage the Bible declares to be sin okay we've got and this is not a popular message. Um, I think I'm going to receive the Lord's Supper, which is another way to say, Lord, I am set apart from the world. I'm going to take part in the broken bread, symbolizing Jesus' body broken for us and the fruit of the vine, his blood shed for us. The world's going to think I'm a nut, but I don't care. I'm set apart from the world for King Jesus, and I want to identify with and accept his death on the cross for my sins, okay? And, um, but I closed last week with this passage, and it just keeps coming back stronger and stronger. Uh, 2 Corinthians 6. And this is not just talking about marriage either. 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 to 18. I know what I'm telling you is not popular, Okay? I know it's not popular, but if I wanted to be popular, why would I even have become a Christian? Why would I become a preacher? Okay? Um, Paul says that in Galatians 1.10. I could either please man or I could please Christ. Okay? So what I'm telling you, I know, it's not popular in our culture. It is counterculture right now. The world wants to lie to us and make us believe that uh, when people badmouth Christians, we're speaking truth to power. I mean, we're not the ones with the political power anymore, okay? We're the ones who get canceled. We're the ones who get censored. And we we need to speak the truth in love. We need to love those who are not believers, who live sinful lifestyles, we need to love them where they're at, preach the gospel to them. But if they ask us, you know, you're a Christian. You believe that my homosexuality is a sin? You say, yeah, I believe the Bible. By the way, you'd be shocked how many homosexuals did not, were not offended. Um, this was probably about a decade ago, but uh, uh, one of her students at her school said that she was a, uh, um, homosexual, and the principal sat down with her and said, "Well, you, you cannot act that out on that, and you can't try to convince others." She, she said, "No." He said, "Okay, then uh, you're expelled." And so she led a little protest outside the school, and we were gearing up for all this negative press and everything. And Berman's um, son did like one little paragraph on it on like the old Bremerton son, it might have been the Kitsap son back then, but still, um, but they did a little paragraph on it. I I guess they, even the Kitsap son realized that's not news. Even though the Kitsap son disagreed with us, they said Christians have always considered homosexuality a sin. That's not a news item. We'll give it one paragraph and move on. Everybody thought it was going to be some big, huge movement and all. Um, there, um, The lady, Arlene's Flowers, the grandmother who had a flower business and wouldn't provide flowers for the gay wedding. I I followed a a Facebook or trend, what a thread, and um, I was shocked how many homosexuals are saying leave the lady alone. She's she's a grandmother. She's a, a Christian. Some of her customers are gay. And she just does it. She, she thinks it goes against her religion to provide flowers for gay wedding. We just leave her alone. That's the crazy thing. We've got an open door to people who are involved in sexual sins and you wouldn't know it. Even atheists, most atheists that I meet respect me and like me, even though I'm a Christian. But they're not going to sell any books unless they peddle some anti-Christian hatred then they'll become popular and it creates the illusion that non-Christians are anti-Christians. Most non-Christians are not anti-Christian. We need to preach the gospel. You haven't had opportunity to do that. Uh, talk to Wayne, talk to uh, Amy, talk to Michael and uh, you got to talk to Creed. You can get out there and go door to door and invite people to church and share share the gospel with them. Um, uh, but listen to what Paul says. We closed last week. We're going to close this week again. 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 to 18. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Again, you unequally yoke a mule and an ox, and they have different strides. And you go round in circles. You never plow the field. you got to be equally yoked. And that's not just in business and in marriage, but don't be unequally yoked with the world, with the culture and its, and its pagan beliefs. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial, Christ with Satan? And what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate. It means to be sanctified. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and and daughters, my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. I'm telling you right now, right now, brothers and sisters, you have got a target on your back. It's not just Christian leaders. The quickest way for Satan to shut down your witness so you have nothing to offer the world. They, they, you could preach the gospel and they'll just call you a hypocrite and you'll push them further away from Jesus. You and I, we have targets on our back right now. The evil one is still roaming this planet seeking whom he may devour. Paul says, abstain from sexual immorality. Flee sexual immorality and be sanctified. Be set apart for King Jesus and his holy purposes.
1: We are in a spiritual
0: war for the spirits of human beings, for the souls of human beings. Don't either prove yourself to be a non-believer or possibly just be a believer who gets put on the sidelines because your sexual impulses are more important to you than serving King Jesus. Abstain from sexual immorality and be separated unto God.
1: always a good word and even more so in the days in which we live we get that ushers to pass out the elements of the Lord's Supper. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, I want to encourage you, as Pastor Phil also said, if Christ is your Savior, and you have made that commitment to place everything beneath Jesus and Jesus above everything else in your life, then you are, please, celebrate the Lord's Supper with us. Because the Lord's Supper is for those who believe. It's very simple. And I invite you to celebrate it with us. This commemorates what Christ has done for us. It says in 1 Corinthians, and we shall read it, we do this in memory of him. We do this in memory of what he has done for us.